Yo, this is Pastor Tito, and welcome to the Revolutionary Podcast, where I'm here to help you find Jesus and follow him. right? This big focus of prayer. And you know what? We're going to finish it out. We're almost done, right? The end of the year, we're going to keep going. But there's one aspect of, there's this one question that I've wrestled with, people wrestle with, the Google all the time. When it comes to praying or prayer, like um, whether you call it nudges, impressions, ideas, this and that, sometimes you get a thought in your head. And then I'm like, you know, wait, should I pray about that? I don't know. I, I feel like I should be praying about that. Listen, I don't know why. Maybe I, no, maybe it's just flesh. It is what it is. We tend to overcomplicate things way too much. I think I've heard it said, and listen, every impulse that you get to pray, just do it, okay? Don't stress over it. Wait, is God wanting me to pray right now, or is it me wanting to pray right now? Uh, they're both good options, A or B. Just shoot, all right? It's okay. But we all know that there is a difference. Like, a lot of people do struggle with telling the difference between what is truth and what is not. What is, what is God's truth? What is not? What is, what is it? All right, and, and there was one moment, I mean, speaking of the Dolphins game today, um, I had always wanted a Dan Marino rookie card. All right, my mom, all, my mom kept me from buying one back when I was 13, 14. I saved up my money, $132. That's how much it cost for that card. And I almost bought it, and she was like, loco, what are you going to do? Spend $130 for a piece of cardboard. I'm like, you're going to do that. And so I didn't do it. It's worth like five times now, you know, and so it is what it is. Mom, I forgive you. But um, I found one online for $65, and sometimes I'm like, mm, I don't know. You know, it is online, and so I was like, it, sometimes people don't know what they have, you know, and they're just kind of give, giving away stuff. That guy seemed to be like one of those, and so, but he was nice enough. I got the card, and then I looked at it, and actually, I'm sorry, it was 30 and then I'm like, wait, I need to confirm that this is the real deal. And so I did some Google search and I found out and then I realized that no, I wasn't, it was a fake. And so I could tell, even though it looked, any, anyone, if you've never seen the card, I'll show you the card on a picture, show you the card, you're like, oh, that's the same thing. I mean, inside, outside. But the experts know what to look for. They know to know, is, is this smudged over here? Is this all, because you can tell if this is smudged, it's an article. I mean, it is a photocopy. It's not the real deal. And so people who know the real thing, they can tell. They can tell. Same thing with any counterfeit money people, all that stuff. And so it works the same way, guys. For us to understand what is truth now, I mean, it is hard to even trust anything. I mean, I don't know. My kids have been watching this. Uh, I don't know who does this. This YouTube short. And they found, am I correct, that they found, a, they have this AI bot that makes Obama, Trump, and Biden all having a conversation together. I mean, it is the weirdest thing. And they're all debating what? Like nonsense, right? I mean, and it sounds just like them. Sounds just like them. You could not tell them apart. You were like, wait, when were they in the home? I mean, it is really weird. And so, guys, we are getting into, especially this artificial intelligence age, where it's going to get really, really, really difficult to tell the difference between what is artificial and what is authentic. And so that's why when we have this, it's important to mess with it. In fact, same thing for those who find uh, counterfeit bills. 
Those who find counterfeit money, they can tell the difference between because they always handle it. Counterfeit money compared to real money feels different. And so this is why, guys, when, we, when I like to preach, we go a little verse by verse a little because I want you guys to feel the pages. I want you to feel the different words. I want you to look at it. So when you hear a counter narrative, you're like, mm, something doesn't seem right. Something, something don't seem right. And so that's the big point of it. And um, the difficulty, though, is because there's... You know, we don't want to. Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between what is God and what is not. And then at the, the reason why it's hard is because we have hard hearts and we are very hard-headed. Anybody know some hard-headed people? Yeah, we do. And so because we are hard-headed and we have hard hearts, we want to know or we want it to be what we want it to be. And so the thing is, is that you have to let God's word speak. In fact, that was a big thing that I've been wrestling with this last week. And so guys, I have to, I didn't get a chance to say last week, but thank you guys for all of the love uh, that you've been sharing online, text message for, you know, I, I passed my oral defense for my dissertation last uh, week. So I just, I wasn't here to celebrate with you guys last week. So thank you. That was exciting. But don't stop praying because they passed me with an asterisk, okay? Meaning, all right, you're passed as long as you fix this. And I'm like, okay, cool. And so everyone's been like, yay. So remember Johnny was like, hey, what are you going to do with your freedom? What freedom? I'm not done. And so I know that's a little bit confusing that people think you passed and you're done. I'm not. But, but the big argument, the reason why I'm not done is because there was one element of this Bible verse that they were saying, Israel, you are, uh, my, that's my government name, by the way. All right. So Israel, Tito. Um, they said, Israel, you are, we can tell that you're, you're forcing a conclusion to this one thing. You have to let the text speak for itself. And I'm like, but it rhymes, you know? I was like, I, I like it. It's, it's not wrong, is it? No, it's not wrong, but that's not what that is saying. And so you have to let it. And so even me, guys, even look, this last week, there's a tendency for all of us to jump the gun, to assume. I read the word. Oh, I know what it is. And, and it's, it's, you got to resist that temptation because we are the ones that are hard of hearing. And now there's going to be a very hard verse that we're going to look at today. Look at one of Jesus's most uh, questionable actions um, when he lost his temper. So we're going to look at that. All right. Now, just so you know, we are not giving and I'm not giving anybody a green light. All right. To when to go nuts. All right. Or, you know, that's not it. But Jesus did it. Let's see what he did and why. So let's read Matthew 21. We're going to read five, six little verses. Matthew 21, 12 through 17. Matthew 21, 12 through 17. All right, one quick context because it does matter. So this is the moment where the, all the culmination of Jesus's ministry has led up to this. All right, all of it has led up to this. This is like the championship game, you know? And so we were just talking about basketball right now. Basketball is doing this in tournament, um, whether you watch football, anything, right, or arts, whatever. There's award ceremonies, right? This is the moment that everything that Jesus has been doing has led up to this. He's going to go to Jerusalem. And here, within about a week's span of time from what we are reading, he will be dying on the cross for our sins, and raising from the dead. And so this is what it's all led up to. All right. This, this is in the moment of crescendo in, in his ministry. And so he opens up and, and first in chapter 21, it's the triumphal entry. So this is when Jesus enters in and everyone, there's all this buzz. Three years they've been hearing Jesus. Three years of this rumor. Could this be the guy? Could this be the guy? Because the Jews have been waiting for the longest 
of a promised Messiah who was going to come in and save Israel and, and, and be a blessing to the world. And there was a buzz. I think this is the one. I think this is the guy. This guy's him, all right? And so they were all excited, and they, have, they welcome him in. He's riding this donkey, big processional. Everyone's singing palm trees. Some of you have probably read the verse before. They call it the triumphal entry. And he is entering the city of Jerusalem like a conquering king would. All right, this is what the Romans would do. Caesar would do. Alexander the Great. They would just roll. They would just pull up to your house, right? They would pull up to the town, and we're just going to march right in. And you either better let us or you're going to die, right? And so the, here he enters in, all this commotion, and there's all this buzz in the town. And then everyone's freaking out. I think this is it. I think this is it. This is going to be the one. And then Jesus does something kind of a little weird. Instead of going left, he zigs right. And he goes all the way into Jerusalem, all the way into the temple, which already that's very significant because they're thinking, oh, oh my gosh, this is happening. This is happening in front of us. And so Jesus enters the temple. And let's read from chapter, from verse 12. Jesus went into the temple and threw out all of those buying and selling. He overturned tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, it is written for my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it into a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonders that he did and the children shouting, so that the children are still singing the song that they were all singing when he came in, Hosanna to the son of David, meaning they think, oh, this is the one, this is the Messiah. They were indignant, jealous, upset, bothered. And they said to Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? And they thought it was very blasphemous. Do you hear what these children are saying? Jesus replied, yeah. Uh, and have you never read? Remember talking about, can you read slowly? Because he's about to quote a verse to these scribes that they memorized. But again, they had jumped to conclusions. It's too soon. He says, uh, let me remind you, have you not read? Quoting in the Psalms. You have prepared praise from the mouths of infants and nursing babies. Then Jesus left them, went out of the city to Bethany, and spent the night there. That's it. He walked right in, caused the ruckus, all right, and just hightailed it out of there, just calmly, back to Bethany. This is where Mary and Martha would hang out, Lazarus, and, and I'm sure Jesus was very famished, and so Martha was a good cook, and so he needed a good home-cooked meal. He went to his best friend's house to unwind and to process what had just happened. So let's do that now. We're going to process what just happened. So I have heard this verse used. This is a good verse for um, nonviolent protests, like, because look what Jesus did. He didn't hurt anybody, right, which he didn't. And um, this, is, uh, this is a verse that shows us that it is possible to even cause a little bit of property damage in the name of activism. Now, time out before you go too fast. Um, whose, house, whose house did Jesus say it was? Have you ever read it? says it, it was a house of prayer, but whose house was it? Jesus says, my house will be called the house of prayer. My house. So, guys, this is, Jesus is doing no different than if you would go right now, go home, and you find a squatter in your house right now, what are you going to do? Lose your testimony? Maybe. Some of you might. Okay? You might. Some of you might. But what are you going to do? Obviously, if you have a squatter in your home doing something that shouldn't be doing, 
you need to get out of here, right? And you're going to do what needs to be done to get him out. This is it. This is just Jesus saying, wait a minute. You guys have turned something that was mine. I've allowed this to occur and you have distorted its purpose. And so he's trying to restore this thing. Now, there's another, there's another verse, um, which I'll, I'll talk about it later. But the, look, look at who his attention was drawn to. There was money changers and dove sellers, all right? Details matter, guys. Money changers are this. So back then, obviously, guys, we didn't have ways to wire funds, right? There was no way to cash app anybody, right? I mean, we are so spoiled. Let's just be honest. We are a very grateful society. There's so many things that are going on. But back then, it was dangerous to travel with certain money, with a lot of things. And so if this is around the, during the time of Passover, so you have Jews coming from all around the world and they or all around the known world and they wanted to worship God. And so, you know, man, to lug my animals, to lug this, it's not the best. And so they would bring their offering, bring their money, buy and purchase their animals there. Very convenient, nice little service that was being offered. And so to, to help the people. So they would do that. And then because they're coming from other towns, they had to pay a certain tax and there was certain money. So they would have to exchange monies. I'm sure some of us who traveled internationally ever had to do that right? Exchange monies. That's kind of confusing. Am I getting scammed? Always, right? And so you never know, you know, and so this is kind of what it is, right? And there's, there's, a, there's exchange. Part of the, the rate of change is because the person exchanging is doing you a service. So they got to make money, right? Well, these guys took advantage. These were the religious people. They, they were in-house in the temple, and they took advantage of everyone's um, heart for God and all these things, and they would char- upcharge them very much like Disney would upcharge you, right? $18.92 for just like, you know, a handful of fries, right? And so like when you go to those places, why are things so expensive? There's a reason why, right? But here, they, the money changers were going above and beyond what was fair. And so they were taking advantage. They were making themselves rich on the backs of worshipers. That's what they were doing. But not just anyone there was, the dove cha- there was the dove sellers. Now, it, the dove sellers in the Old Testament, those were, if you could not, if you were poor and you could not afford an offering, everybody, by the way, even the poor had to bring an offering here because everyone had to bring something to the table. So doves were cheap. Anyone could have afforded a dove. And so if Jesus is kicking out the dove sellers, why is he so upset? He's offering the poor an opportunity to worship, right? Unless they're charging an arm and a leg, and they're now exploiting the poor as well. So you got the rich being taken advantage of, and you got the poor. All, everybody that's gathering together. So you can see why he's a little upset. In fact, uh, right after this, when he's on his way back, I mean, Jesus is having himself for 24 hours. Not only does he go in the temple, does all this nonsense. If you keep reading, there's a, a barren fig tree, and there's a tree that Jesus goes to pick a fruit. There's no fruit. The only time Jesus curses anything, he says, I curse this tree, and it withered and died. And so Jesus is doing very weird things in this moment. And both of those were very symbolic because, see, a fig tree, before the leaves would show, it would always have a first fruit. And so the first fruit before the leaves would show was a sign of saying, hey, oh, this tree is going to produce a lot of good stuff. Right, and so we have that mango tree in my grandparents' backyard, right? We always get excited when we see the certain things popping off. It's like, oh, man, mangoes are coming, mangoes are coming, right? And so it was all leaves, no fig, which means that even though it looked like a healthy tree, this tree had no fruit in it. And so 
this, both things, it shows this indictment of look at the corruption inside of the temple. Look at the corruption inside of the temple and the fruitlessness of the tree. It was just a way of, of highlighting the hypocrisy of Israel. That even though everything on the outside looked like, ah, we believe in you, we believe in you. It was a hollow one. It was not true faith. It was not true faith. And so that's kind of shows a little danger there. So Jesus cleans out the temple. He cleans out the temple. And if you've ever read the Bible, guys, if in John 2, this is the second time he does it. I don't know if you know that he does it twice. Two times. And he actually kicks off his ministry in John 2, 17, cleansing the temple. Three years later, comes back, and he cleanses the temple again. Think about that. What, how did, Jesus begins and ends his earthly ministry. I mean, it was, it's early on and at the end of cleansing out this temple. And the first one, John gives a little detail. He says that, and Jesus sat off to the side and made himself a whip. If, if there was, there's a lot of things. Have you guys ever played that game? Like if you could be anywhere in the Bible, if you thought about what would you love to see? The Red Sea parting, right? You know, seeing this happen, seeing that happen. I would love to be able to have sat in the corner to see Jesus's eyes getting this whip ready. Like, I mean, was he calm? Was he, you know, or was he? You know, it's like, because he's about to go off. And so I would love to be able to see. And then I'm like, yo, John, what's a weird looking Jesus' eye? Like, what's, what's he doing? I would love to be able to see that. So he begins and, and does both because it's interesting, guys, because in fact, the, the scripture says that the, when they saw Jesus act this way, they were like, well, they were reminded of a verse in the Old Testament that says that zeal, he will, have, he will be very zealous for my house. And you're going to see why Jesus is so passionate about this. Why does he do this again? And what is the big deal about it? So he goes, let's look at what he says when he spoke in the temple. Can we, let's put that verse one more time. So he goes and says in verse, where were we, 17? Um, 13. It is written. So already you know he's, he's quoting something. He's quoting Old Testament. It is written. My house will be called the house of what? Prayer. But you've turned it into a den of thieves. Robbers, depending on your translation, right? Now, look at the two. Jesus says, this is the point of it, and look what you've done. And he's pointing out to what they did. The house of prayer, he is quoting Isaiah 56, verse 7. God one time showed Isaiah this, mess, uh, this vision of the future. And Isaiah is hearing the Lord, and he's saying, my house will be a house of prayer for all people. And the context of it is very interesting because the Jews were already exiled. They were out of town. This has happened um, 800 years before what Jesus just did. And so they had been corrupted by their sin and they had been taken away and they were lost. And God was pointing, reminding them of this hope and restoration. And he tells them that, listen, even he goes to eunuchs and, and he lifts off in Isaiah different people. And these people that he lists off in Isaiah were, something was wrong with them. And they were not allowed to get close to the temple because of a, form, um, a formality, uh, uh, you know, something weird about them because you had to be perfect. No one could be. But there was this kind of like, hey, you guys are on the outside. You need to stay on the outside. You can't come any closer. But then God is saying one day, and they all knew this rule. But to Isaiah, 800 years before Jesus quotes it, he says, one day my house will be open to all. And those, and the eunuchs, and the this, and the that. Right now, you know that you can't get any closer. But one day, something is going to happen in that I will make a way 
For those on the outside to come all the way inside. And those that were, could not belong now will allow, they will be allowed to belong into my home, into the family of God. And so he tells all of them, do not fear. Don't fear because I'm going to do this. So he's speaking in the future. And then Jesus is reminding them, this whole temple, this whole point of it was supposed to be a house of prayer for all people. Now, do you know where the buying and the selling and all the exchange was happening? In the outer courts. In the outer courts was a space meant for people who, either non-Jews or this or that, anyone who still had a heart for God and believed. God was gracious enough to say, okay, I'm going to create a barrier in which people who are not allowed to can still draw near. But up to here, up to a point. Well, none of those people could make it there. Why? Because that's where they set up shop. So that's even why, why is Jesus clearing out house? Because they are operating in a place that they're supposed to let people draw near. And they're keeping people, they're stiff arming them away. And for whatever reason, right, this and that, oh, you can't afford the, oh, I'm so sorry. Next, all right, and then that's it. And this is supposed to be a place where anyone could go. That's why he says, no, this is not just for the Jews, not for the special, not for who can afford it or for the holier than thou. No, my house is supposed to be for everyone, but look what you're doing to it. And by the way, that was also a quote. You have turned it into a den of thieves. That comes from Jeremiah 7.11. All right. Jeremiah 7.11. Jesus is quoting Isaiah and Jeremiah at the same time. And he says, you've turned it into this. And when you read Jeremiah 7.11, he is highlighting the same thing that is happening in Jesus' highlighting. See, a den of thieves. All right. Think about that. What, what, what would thieves run into a den for? What would robbers and bad guys go into a den for? What does that sound like? Huh? Hiding. That sounds like a lair. Okay, right? Um, right? There's, uh, I, I love Pirates of the Caribbean, so where do they stash all their money? In this island of Tortuga, right? Or, or different stuff. The island of Muerta, right? So you, you have all these stories, right? Where you, you go to this place, you go commit, you go pillage, you do this, you do that, and then you run to home base. And home base has to be a secret, right? That's where you get all your stuff. And you run there to hide. Here's everyone, there's people running to God, to this temple. So they're coming to him, and they can't. There's no room. Why? Because there's a bunch of people using the very house of God as a hiding place. And the sad part is, is that what, the, the highlight, the, what we're highlighting here is that you've turned into a den of thieves. Who are they robbing? Worshippers. You see what I'm saying? They are robbing worshipers of what? Not just their money. They're rob robbing worshipers of an experience of encountering, of drawing near to God. They are being robbed. What does the enemy say? But in the New Testament, it says that the devil walks around and that he's always looking, trying to steal, kill, and destroy. Every opportunity that we got, have to be able to know him. And so here's what they're doing. And the sad part that Jesus is calling them out on is this. They're doing all of this activity out in the open. They're not hiding. They're doing it out in the open, but it's, it's for the Lord, right? And so when this whole den of thieves, both in Jeremiah and Jesus, point to the fact that, listen, I don't care what religious activity you do, you cannot cover up your sin. That's, what, that's, that's, that's what's happening here. They are robbing and they're doing all this, but they're doing it in the name of God. Nah, they're doing it for their own personal gain, not for his glory. And so here we see these two instances of that, in that Jesus can tell the difference. He knows who's, who has a sincere heart there and who does not. And he does, he does not like those who get in the way. 
And so, and that's a good reminder for us guys, because listen, you and I, our heart, we have the same heart tendencies. We have the same heart tendencies of hiding, hiding a feeling, hiding an opinion, hiding a sin, hiding a doubt, hiding a this, hiding a that. We have the same tendency to play hide and go seek with our heart. All right. And, uh, and we do that. And then sometimes we might feel a little better because, hey, Hey, I came to church on Sunday. I'm here instead of somewhere else. I'm listening to the Bible. All right, I feel better about myself. You know, proud. Good job. Good job. You know, and you're paying attention. You haven't fallen asleep yet. Good job, right? And so there's all of these things that we can think that, oh, just religious activity will make it all go away. Religious activity will, will make me right with God, and it does not. It does not. You can see here, I wonder to this day, I wonder to this day if, uh, if Jesus could pull up in any church, including our own, I wonder how much he would clean out to be able to say, all right, who's the authentic believers and who are the ones pretending? See, I can't tell the difference, guys. I'm not that good. You guys can fool me, but we can't fool God. And so he goes, he cleanses the temple. He speaks at the temple, and then he temporarily restored the temple. You guys see, right after that, right after he, he says, kicks everybody out, what happens in verse 14? The blind and the lame. They came to him in the temple. So Jesus has restored the outer courts for its original purpose. He was like, this is supposed to be a place where people can go and draw near to God, not pretend or not this and that. And so he restored it. And so all of the people who could not, they had no space because they were told one thing. Oh, you're too this or oh, you're too that or oh, you're not enough. Jesus restored it and was healing them. And it's the same for us, like when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, he opened up not just the outer courts, dude opened up the whole thing so that we can find healing for our souls, our minds, our hearts, so we don't have to hide any longer. There is no trauma that we have to keep buried. No, we can bring it all to him and find healing in Jesus' name. And so you have two reactions to what's happening. You saw it? which is, by the way, always the same. I'm going to get those two reactions. Well, technically, there's three. There's three reactions to hearing the truth of who God is. It's all throughout, and we see it here. There's people who are like, all right, whatever, okay? They just don't care. Some people who love it and some people who hate it, right? That's just the reality of it. Is. So who loved it here? Well, first off, these people, right? There was a group of people like, oh, my gosh, and this is, could this be it? And he was, Jesus was giving a temporary, a temporary taste an appetizer of what he's about to do in about a week from this time. And so they're all excited. They're praising him. But what were the religious scholars doing? What were they saying? They became indignant. Anybody else had a different word than indignant? That's the last word in my in verse 15. So they became indignant. They were already jealous. They were haters. They were petty. All right. Anybody have a different one? That was an interesting one. Look at their emotion. Are they excited? By the way, these were the ones that should have been rallying the people around the Messiah. These should have been the, the ones that were like, guys, yes, he's checking off the boxes. This is the one. And they're indignant because these people love power. They love themselves way too much. That's what pride does. I don't care. You can be, a, uh, you can be rich. You can be poor. We all suffer from the same hard hearts of sin. And so here we have that problem. And so they became indignant here. You have some who are praying and depending, which think about it. My house will be a house of prayer. We focused on prayer the whole year. What is the point of praying? Is the point of praying? I was like, all right, well, all right. Like, like you're going to Santa and like, all right, next you get to sit on Santa's lap and you get to ask. So like, all right, Jesus, it's my turn now. Okay. 
So what I would like. And so that's not praying. Praying is not a means for you to go get something. Praying at the heart of it, which we've looked at this whole thing, even the Lord's Prayer. For your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your daily bread. And by the way, forgive me and forgive us and deliver us. The whole point of praying is a heart posture. It's humility before the Lord. It's depending. If you're praying on God, it's because you're having to depend on him. By the way, interesting enough, you are all breathing. What air? I know it's everyone. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I'm, yeah. You guys even started. How many do you know? Um, you don't even realize, right? You forget that you're breathing. But whose air is it? You, you're not producing air on the inside. You are depending on air on the, on the outside, right? You are depending on air, and it's, it's a rhythm. You have a rhythm to that. That's what prayer is. Prayer is a rhythm of depending on God depending on who he is, depending on his truth. That's what that is. It is this rhythm of, by the way, what is breath? But that's what prayer looks like as a rhythm where we are, we are being filled by the knowledge of God and overflowing. That's all that is. And prayer is dependence on God, depending on him. And so you have these people praising because they're delivering, but then you got the petty people who are complaining because, see, again, God, that's already showing their heart. They, they, all these religious scribes and all these people, they knew what was happening. Some of them were in on it. So they were not there for the, for the glory of God. They were in there for their own personal gain. Now, one day, guys, here's the thing. One day we do know Jesus will do this one last time. Jesus is going to cleanse his temple a third and final time. Think about it. The both times, both times have a meaning. But the third one is this. When God says over and over again, Jesus said the kingdom of God will be like this. And when the son returns and when he returns, he's going to separate. And we have different analogies, right? Sheep from goats. He's going to separate um, wheat from the chaff. He's going to separate uh, good fish from the bad fish. And there, when Jesus comes again, he will cleanse his bride. And he knows who truly believed and who pretended, who did not. He will know. And the thing about God is that God's not going to miss one. He's not going to miss one. That encourages me because I am very, not just forgetful, but, you know, sometimes I don't pay attention uh, to everything. And uh, I forget one little thing here, right? And so there was, uh, happened yesterday, right? Yesterday I, had, I was carrying a lot of stuff to come to church and I forgot the JBL. And in my mind, I'm like, don't forget the JBL. Don't forget the JBL. Don't forget the speaker. Don't forget the speaker. Don't forget the speaker. I, sa- I said that as I'm grabbing other things, I sit in the car, leave. And what happens? The JBL. Oh my gosh. And so it's like, I left it. I'm sure that happens to you guys all the time, right? You, and you know, you're supposed to remember and you forget. I, it brings so much hope and encouragement to know that Jesus is not going to be up in heaven one day and then, you know, Jesus returned and everything is all set and they're going to be like, um, Jesus, uh, we have a report. There was, um, there's a Susie that is in hell that wasn't supposed to be in hell. I'm so sorry. Her paperwork got stuck to another person. Like, and Jesus is not going to be, wait, what? Oh my goodness. He was like, listen, I'm so sorry, Susie. I, you know, this normally doesn't happen. You know, like it's, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm <laughs> I don't know. Like we don't have to worry about any of those things. You know, we've had, how many of you have bought something and the shipment got lost, right? Or you did this and you forgot it or like, we don't have to worry about this, that if those who are in Christ, he says, I will not lose, not even one, not even one. And so he will cleanse his temple one day. But until then, guys, 
The fact that Jesus' ministry included this twice shows, listen, Jesus, it's his church. It's his bride. And his bride, his church, requires maintenance. Requires maintenance that only Jesus can do. And it is a heart maintenance. As we all know this, we all shower every day, hopefully. Right? And so you have some maintenance that you have to do around the house. You have to clean your house from time to time. You got to wash your car. What happens when you just let things go? Not good, right? And so it's not good. And so the church is no different, guys. Only Christ and his word can, it is, it is the only power that allows us to cleanse our heart. Because guys, we could be great. You can have a great moment today. This is why, again, even Sunday mornings and having a regular rhythm of reading God's word daily, having a regular time weekly of gathering together around his word, this is important. Because again, we walk in this world and it is very easy for us to buy a lie thinking it's the truth or it's very easy to have encountered something been hurt by someone or have a problem that we're faced and because we're all alone it's very easy to pretend and bury it instead of address it and by the time we come to church on Sunday oh we forgot about it you know say oh it is what it is you know but it's still there and so only Jesus can do this. Only his word can. In fact, let's look at Hebrews 4, um, 4, 11, and 12. Let me tell you, this is what Jesus did in the temple. That's what his word does right here. Let's look at uh, Hebrews 4, 11, and 12. This, the author of Hebrews is talking about that there were the Jewish people, there were certain Jewish people that for, they did not enter into rest. Then he wasn't talking about necessarily a Sabbath day rest and taking a week off. He's like, there is a group, there is some Jews that never entered into the promise. They never entered and experienced the peace that comes from receiving the gospel, receiving Christ as Lord, that rest of your heart and your soul to know that you are saved. Like what, to quote the verse, I know, funny, you shared it again the other day, the Martin Luther quote from Reformation Day. Martin Luther once said, it's like, I look to myself and I wonder, how can I be saved? And I look to Christ and then I say, how can I ever be lost? Right? And so that's that beautiful description there. And so here, when we look at this, when we look at this, there's, that's that peace that, that he's referencing. That's the peace that the Hebrews guy is saying. That there's a peace that if we believe in Christ, we experience and it's a permanent peace. And then he says in verse 11, so let us, unlike certain Jewish ancestors that were hard-hearted, they rejected, they refused to believe. Let us be different in verse uh, 11. Let us then make every effort to enter this rest, meaning to believe. Make every effort to believe in Christ so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. That's what the scribes were doing. And verse 12, for the word of God. And by the way, that right there, the word of God is what we're supposed to make every effort to believe, to rest in, to rest in the word of God. And so he says, for the word of God is living, it is effective, it is sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Remember what we were talking about earlier? If you walked into the temple, you couldn't tell the difference between who was really there for the right purposes and who was not, but Jesus could. Here, Remember we said earlier, well, how can I tell between what's truth and what's not? It is only the truth of God that can separate the two here. And so this, what is happening here for the word of God is living and active, effective, sharper than any two-edged sword, 
penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit. That's what Jesus is doing in the temple. He is separating. He is highlighting. He is bringing, revealing truth. And it is amazing to be able to see, guys, that right now, I know you don't hear it or feel it, but for the last 25 minutes, I've been sending nothing but heat-seeking missiles on you guys. All right? That's it. That's what this is. This is just heat-seeking heat seeking missiles that's just going and going and trying to hit the mark at its point. That's it. Same thing. Isn't that what vaccines do and different medicines do? Right? They make a certain way to attack something specific. Well, what does the word do? When you really hear it, it goes straight for the heart. It goes straight for the heart. Now, it says it's a double-edged sword. I got, I'm not going to lie. I always saw the double-edged sword thinking like Roman swords. Anyone ever seen one of those? It's like really thick, right? And then the you know, double point at the back end there. Now, the thing about Roman swords is that Romans, they use their stuff for blunt force trauma. I mean, those guys were brutes, bro. I mean, they, it was sharp, but, you know, they wanted to hurt you. They wanted to mangle you. And so to get hit by one of those and, you know, stabbed by one of those, that was hard. And that's, their swords were meant for, for hacking. That's, their swords were meant for hacking and, and just stabbing. But the word that was used here for, and it is like a double-edged sword, not double-edged in that way, but a very fine sword, almost like a fillet knife. That's a different one. All right, see, I don't, see, we got some fishermen in the house. We got, like, uh, we got, we got some, some beef people in the house, right? What is the difference between a fillet knife and an axe? An axe just wants to just blah, right? And just, but what does a fillet do? Anybody ever filleted something before? I'm not, you know? Oh, fillets are just, all right? Just perfect. Separating what? Bone and marrow, right? And so look at that. This is a fillet knife. And so what he's saying, the word, when it does its job, it fillets you, all right? That's what this does. That's how you know you're reading it right. And so, and it, it's able to separate the, the thing between this is you and this is God, which, by the way, this is why we need, a, we need a regular, healthy reading of God's word. You guys need help. You guys need to sit under healthy, faithful preaching outside of me. You guys need that. Because it is very easy for you to have a, come to a conclusion, an assumption, oh, this is God, this is God, this is God, and it's not. And you're putting his name on something that doesn't belong. And it's only his word that can tell the difference between, no, right here, this is the line. This is the line. This is you. Chuck it. Okay? This is. This is what you hold to. Only a fillet knife. That's what it is. And so when you look at this, I, that's why my, my bottom line, I wanted to include this and help you guys with this. Because, hey, in the same way the temple needed to be cleansed, Jesus had to clean it twice. Our temple needs to be constantly cleansed. Our minds need to be cleansed because of the things that we watch, the things that we do. Our hearts need to be cleansed. And we can't ignore these things. They have to be. But I want to warn you, though. Oh, I want to warn you. All right. I want to warn you that walking by faith is going to include... Uh, Going to include a couple things. Walking by faith is going to involve sometimes Jesus flipping some tables in your heart, or it's going to include him filleting your heart. All right, both aren't fun. All right, I ain't gonna lie, both aren't fun. This is why I always say when you pray, Lord, give us today our daily bread. Watch out, there should be a warning label because this daily bread bites back. Okay, it bites back if you're reading it well. It bites back. And so think about it. What did Jesus do? And very specifically, he flipped tables over. He's clearing house. So guys, I want you to know, and this is why you have to learn to read slowly and spend time with God. Because if you just read it and assume and jump with it, no, 
Like, there's so much work. Sometimes God has to take something upside down and flip it right back over. I was like, no, 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 like this. And no, he, or he's like, no, that just needs to go. That, unforg- that unforgiveness, that needs to go. That anger, that needs to go. You need to forgive. You need to give that to me and let only the blood of Christ can cleanse our hearts from these things. No, that pride, that needs to go. That insecurity, no, no, no that needs to go. You find it all in me. All in me. All in me. And so sometimes, guys, in order to read it, you got to ask and humble yourself. and like saying, all right, Lord, I've approached this verse more than once. Some of you have probably seen these verses more than once. Let's flip a table over and say, oh, there's more there. There's more there. But then the other one, again, is that if you're reading God's word well, it should fillet your heart. It should fillet your heart. I've, um, what, what are sometimes people, when, they, when, when someone preaches, sometimes we do it here, not so often. It's, it's cultural, right? It is what it is. Uh, when, when somebody says something, what do people in the congregation tend to say? When it's really, huh? Amen. They'll shout out what? Preach. They'll say it what? Praise Jesus. I've heard, say it louder for the people in the back. All right? That's always my favorite. I love that one. <laughs> I love that one. Right? Or, wow. That's a, that's a fun one lately, right? Wow. 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 All right? That's a big one. Um, sometimes there's ouch. There should be ouches. There should be as much ouches as amens. In fact, the amen should come as a result of the ouch. All right, it should be. Because here's the thing. Paul says in 2 Timothy, preach the word, but you better preach the word in this way. Train, rebuke, correct, teach, and encourage. Listen, I know we all need a word of encouragement from time to time. Okay, we do. And there's some really good preachers out there. They're great at that. Just in the same way that I would tell you, um, let's not have like, you know, donuts and cookies and cake be your main source of, you know, main source of uh, food intake, because what that's going to make you, right? All that sugar is going to do what to you? Don't kill you, right? We have diseases based on sugar imbalances, right? Don't we? When, there's, when the sugar's off, and if all you do is eat sugar, 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 encouraging word, encouraging word, encouraging word, I'm so good, I'm so awesome, thank you. Listen, that is, there's no difference between that and a, and a crack addict, all right? You are a, you're a Christian crack addict at that point. Like, you just want to feel good, you want the high, you get sugar highs, don't you? No, listen. If all you do is seek encouraging words, you can be encouraged into your own sin. That one should, okay, thank you. I wanted, there it is. I, I set you up for that one, all right? If all you want, if all you seek is encouragement, you can be encouraged in your own delusion. You can be encouraged in your own lie. And if you're encouraged there long enough, now you're living in this artificial world where everything is upside down. But you see it is right side up. It's dangerous. Notice when he says, preach the word, it should be encouraging. I hope that you guys walk out encouraged. But he says, rebuke and correct. That goes for me too. That goes for me too. I'm not dishing this out. It's just, you know, it's, it's, re, it's, it's ricocheting right back. Because I said again, this, our hearts have this tendency to hide. Our hearts have a tendency to hide. Uh, I can't talk about that. Can't admit that. Can't say that. Can't do that. <laughs> so we just suppress it. Another layer. No, more. You know? Like you're trying to take out the trash. You're, no, no. We can fit more in here, right? So, uh, so we just shove the trash down to make more space. And then, and then it's stuck, right? I hate that. When we try to take the trash out, I diverge. Okay, anyways, back to this. So that's the problem. 
God's word says, oh, no, 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 no. It's because I love you. This is not just like a fisher's fillet, but think of a surgeon's scalpel. A surgeon, a surgeon is going to hurt you to try to heal you, correct? But he's not out there just, mm, just willy-nilly, you know, just kind of figure this out. And, okay? A, a surgeon is what? Very calculated. He knows what to do, when. She knows right here up to there. They're hurting you. Are they not? They are hurting. But they're trying to bring healing. And so sometimes, guys, you need to know that God's word, that's that scalpel, that soul scalpel that wants to be able to see, listen, you have buried this for way too long. No, you need to get that. And he wants to cut that and do that in order to find, say, now, now let's get rid of all of this. And so you're left with just that's what matters. That's what his word does. And so, which again, iron, I don't think it's ironic in that when Jesus tells us and has taught us to pray, God, give us your daily bread, which is speaking of his word, guys, not just our, my needs for the day. Give me my daily bread. What are the two reactions that we end with? Forgive me and deliver me. Why? Because that daily bread is going to bite you back. And realize, oh, wow. You know what, God, I do have, I just read something and that has rebuked me. I have I still have that remaining sin in my life where I have this and I should not have done that or this and that. And so you then ask, Lord, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me how I failed you and deliver me, meaning help me be wiser. Help me not to fall in that same trap. And when I do, deliver me, forgive me again. Guys, it's built in right there. And so, so I want to encourage you in the way that we, I've been, you guys have been doing it today. Obviously, I can't be there with you guys every other second. This is something I do myself. It's when you go to read. And having a weekly rhythm is great, but you need a daily one. So I'm going to, here's a, a, a little application as we wrap up. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you as you read his word. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you, L-E-A-D. Help, ask the Holy Spirit to lead you as you read his word. Now, those, the, that acronym I, I like a lot. I use a lot for different things. It's listen, examine, assess, and decide. All right? So listen first. Uh, by the way, I've been doing that with you. Notice we've been saying, hey, look, listen, we just read that. Whose house was it, by the way? Oh, my father's house. He didn't say my father's house. You know, I said my house, right? Or, hey, listen, what did he say? Who's here? What's happening? Like when you spend time to listen, now you get to really look and see. Because the problem is that we jump to A and D, all right? We go straight to assess. What does this mean for my life? Decide. I've decided. Here's what I'm going to do. And we run with it. But if you listen and you linger long enough, you get to see so much. And you get to because, and that's the whole point of it. The whole point is not to master this. The whole point is to be mastered by it. It is not just to learn something and not to be informed, but that it forms you. And it just takes time. Now, you can do this in five minutes, but again, learning to listen. And then examine. And what are you examining for, guys? You are examining him. What does this tell me about him? What does this look right here? Wow, Jesus kind of lost his temper. All right, again. Doesn't give you an excuse to somebody does something. It was like, now you want to clean up, you know, moms and dads. And if you, you know, the room is not the way it should be, you know, I'm a real clean house today. Listen, you know, we don't get an excuse here to kind of lose it. Jesus didn't lose it. He had, he was self-controlled. Okay. He didn't lose it. He didn't sin here. But the thing is that you got to examine, what does this tell me about Jesus? Why is Jesus so upset? Why is he so upset? Why is he this? Why is he saying that? Why does he call it this? Why does he call What does this tell me about God? And we saw that today, right? We saw that he is very passionate 
about making a house for how many people? All. There's no asterisk anymore. Anyone. There's no hurt too bad, no question too big, no sin too disgusting that could keep you from experiencing life in Jesus' name. There's nothing. And so he is very passionate about that and very passionate about trying to get, and we should be as well, and helping to remove whatever barrier that is keeping people from doing that. But then there's the assess. When we listen to the word, what is here? What am I looking for? And then we examine, what does it say about God? And then we assess our own hearts. How am I, how am I reacting to the light of that I'm seeing here? How am I reacting? What is, what is calling me? You guys, some of you, I guarantee you, some of you have already been thinking there. And I'm like, oh man, yeah, I do that, or that sounds like me, or this and that, or whatever. Right? You've already been there. You've had that. And then the decide is at least something, what are you going to do now about it? And the decision is, guess what? It's also another prayer. Lord, forgive me for this. Oh, Lord, deliver me. I have this tendency to be able to do or think in this way. God, help me from, I can't do this. I depend on you. That's what it is. It's the same way. And so we got to ask ourselves, because even Jesus pointed this out. Can I show you one other verse, a very popular verse that I guarantee you, you could have probably never gone, maybe the first time you've ever gone to church, never opened a Bible. You know this one verse, heard this one verse, but I want to read this one verse in its context. And we're going to listen. And I want you to examine, and assess, and then decide. Because that's exactly what Jesus does with a guy named Nicodemus in the middle of the night. He goes and has this meeting with a religious leader, one of these scribes. And this guy wanted to meet with Jesus in private because he didn't want anyone to know that he was a closet believer for, he was really thinking about it. And so he goes and meets with him. Jesus meets with him. And now let's read. I'm going to read it to you. You can read it. It's not going to be on the screen. I'm going to read John 3, chapter 3. But I'm going to read a little bit more than John 3, 16. I want you to hear the words of Jesus. And I pray it fillets your heart as it fillets mine as I'm reading this. Now, there was, a fair, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God. For no one can perform these signs that you do unless God were with him. And so he's believing. Wait a minute. I'm not like these other guys. I know there's something about you. Jesus replies, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot be of the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, in a very rightfully confused answer, says, wait, how can anyone be born again when they're already old? Nicodemus asks, can I enter my mother's womb a second time and be born again? Come on. Like, very, that's very literal there. It's like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, look, I'm not lying to you. I'm telling you the truth. Unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, and the Spirit is true, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Meaning you are born from above when you believe in the truth that's from above in Christ. And in verse 6 he says, Jesus continues, whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. He's talking about sin nature there. And whatever is born of the spirit is spirit is true. Do not be amazed that I told you you must be born again. For the wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sounds and you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born again from the Spirit. And he says, how can this be? I'm like, Jesus, still, I don't get it. Some of you are like, I don't get it. But again, think of that. He says, look, you and I, we only can see the effects of the wind. We don't see where the wind came from, where it started. We, when, it, when it wrestles in that, where did that wind come from? We don't know that. We can't see that, but we do see the effects of the wind. And what Jesus is saying here is like, listen, 
this is a miracle. When someone is born again and they're made brand new, you can't see it happening. You can't study it. You can't look. It is something that only God does, but you definitely can see the effects of someone who is truly saved. You can see the effects. And so he continues on. He asks him, I don't get it, Jesus. How can this be? Verse 10, aren't you a teacher of Israel? Don't you know these things? Look at the rebuke. Look at the question. Correcting. Truly, he's correcting him again. Truly, I tell you, we speak what we, do, what we know and we testify what we've seen, but you do not accept our testimony. Again, not believing. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the Son, the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. He's talking about himself. For just as Moses was lifted up, the snake had lifted up a snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must also be lifted up. So that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only Son. So that everyone who just believes in him, all who believe, will not die, but they would have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone, there's the phrase again, anyone, all, anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe stands already condemned. But he has done, but he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. For this is judgment. And it was like, all right, final words. I'm ending the conversation here in Nikki. The light has come into the world. People love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Sounds like a den of thieves, doesn't it? They love their darkness. They love their sin too much. They hide in darkness. They don't want to approach the sun, the light, because they would, they would have to own up to that. It would have to cost them something. Look at how sad of an exchange is. People love their sin too much. They would rather love their sin than be loved by a Savior. The love of sin kills them, condemns them. The love of Christ heals them. This is judgment. There's always going to be a den of thieves. People are going to love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone, verse 20, who does what is evil hates the light. They hide. They avoid it. They hide so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light, so that his works may be shown to be accomplished, not by themselves, but by God. Guys, the irony here is that Jesus says, yeah, you may, you may run and hide for a moment, but one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. There's going to be no hiding one day. And here, this is the warning. This is the decision. Look at the rebuke here. Guys, you and I, there is things that you and I, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you ought to hate the remaining sin in your heart, which will be there until the day Christ returns or you go home. You should. You should honestly hate. You should learn to love the remaining sin in your heart more than the sin that you see in someone else. All right? It's very easy for us to point out somebody else's sin. You should hate yours more. Point yours own out more. Care more about yourself more. Because what is our tendency? Our tendency is to hide. It's to hide and to rage and to do this and to wallow in it instead of going to the light. Because going to the light means you got to own up to it. 
Owning the light means it's real now. Hide, you can pretend. I don't see it. It's not there. As long as I don't see it, didn't happen. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. Just because you're good at lying at you, you know, again, human beings were the best, right? We're, we, we, we lie to ourselves and we know we're lying to ourselves and we believe our own lies. It's crazy. That's what sin is. But what is the decision that needs to be made? Will I choose to hide in darkness or will you choose to go into the light? And that light's going to burn. That light's going to, it's going to, it's going to do something. It's going to fillet me. But it's only to draw you closer. It's to remove the very thing, the very heart, the very, the pride, the, the prideful heart that is keeping you from drawing even more into a relationship with God. So you see, it's a hurt that wants to bring healing. And so guys, the decision is left. What are you going to do? You can run and hide in your den. You can step into the light. Both have a consequence. Both have a cost. But one is worth making. One is worth making. And remember, he said, there's a den of thieves. You can run and hide, but not for long. But he says, I have, my house will be. And by the way, when Jesus rose from the grave and that stone rolled away, the door to his house has forever been and remained open. That door is open for all. It doesn't matter what you've done, how much you've believed, how much you have fallen, sin, and ran from him. The door is still open as long as Christ has not returned. It is a house of prayer for all of us. For all of us. And, the, and what allows us to belong? One thing. Believe in how Christ behaved. That he lived a life that we could not live, died the, the death that we deserved so that we can have the life we don't. Look at what he has done. And Jesus is standing at the courts just like he did that day. All right, I cleared out. Who wants to come first? And guys, Christian, that's for all of us too. This is regular rhythms of running to Christ for him to cleanse us and purify our hearts so that we not only can we grow closer to him so that he can then we can turn and he can use us to be able to point others to the exit, point others to the door. Look at this door. Come this way to Christ and put your trust in him. He's done for all of us. Not all will go, only those. And guys, I pray that as you do, you don't act like the indignant people. Ah, this is not the word I needed to hear today. I need to hear something a little different. I need to hear something a little better. All right? I pray instead that you may be like those people who were left out and was like, wait a minute, we can come. You love, you still love us too? We're, we're included too? And we run in there like the kids and all we can do is help to pray and praise this God who has made a way where there was none before. You can complain all day long. I'm like, oh, why is there only one way? Why is there only one way to Jesus? I'm glad that there is a way because there was no other way outside of that. So praise God, there's one. And that one is enough. And run to that one. And keep running to that one Christian. Keep running to the one. Don't be like these people who they turned, they, they were in, they were, you know, religious leaders and they lost the whole focus of it. Don't be like them. Keep running to him. Let him cleanse your heart. Let him cleanse your heart so you have nothing left but just to praise him for who he is.